Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are really in awe of you. You are an awesome God. You are our deliverer, our provider, our protector. Um, Father, you are great. And when we see the rolling thunder and we just look at the splendor of your skies, Father, we, we, we should burst out in song in our soul. And Father, help us not to be tantalized by technology and screens that do whatever we ask them to do as if, Father, they held some power that you do not have. Father, help our awe to be really reserved for you and help the sense of wonder in this world to, to come from what we can sense from this creation that is amazing and beyond our thoughts. Father, how great thou art. It is so true. Father, we are so insignificant when we look at this incredibly vast universe, Father, yet you tell us that we, we do matter, that you care about us. Not only do you care about us, but you actually have a plan for us. And uh, Father, I pray that we, that we, when we come together on Sunday mornings or when we come together for lunch with a fellow member of the church during the week, Father, we can have this mindset to really worship you and praise you and tell you how amazing that you are. And Father, this morning, I do pray that we can humbly approach your scriptures, that we can really throw away anything that might hinder us from really receiving what you want us to learn this morning. And Father, I do pray that as we study this great book of scripture, uh, Father, that we will allow ourselves to, to really grow spiritually and not to feel as though, oh, been there, done that, read this before, but God, help us to, to grow in our understanding of who you are and how you fight for us and how you care about us and how you want to save us from this corrupt world. Father, I pray for this time this morning. Uh, I pray in the name and the power of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How great thou art. I love those lyrics, by the way. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start a, a new series this, this, uh, this Sunday. It's going to be for a few months, and it's an outline in your, in your newsletter. Uh, and then we're going to look at the book of Exodus. And, you know, we just came off of the Christmas season. And uh, when we think of Christmas, right, we had that powerful, uh, if you were here, we had that powerful kind of dramatic presentation of what it was like for Mary to find out that she would be uh, the birth of a Savior, uh, the mother of the Savior. And, uh, you know, that story, though, you don't really get the full power of that story unless you understand Exodus and uh, the, the themes in Exodus. Uh, because if you remember, you know your New Testament. We don't have a problem with the New Testament, I found, in a lot of ways. New Testament, we feel great about. Uh, but quite often, we're a little Old Testament illiterate, a little bit OTI, if you want to know, you know. But we need to be OTP, and I'm not talking about the perimeter. I'm talking about Old Testament proficient, if you know what I'm saying. So we need to, we need to strive to be OTP in the sense of Old Testament proficient. So we got to get to the Old Testament, and we got to blow the dust off that and really be willing to look and learn, right? And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to choose the book of Exodus, because there's so much there to teach us, to help us, to even help us understand the New Testament. And, and as I was studying, I actually read this quote, and I was like, you know, that's, I can't say it any better. Um, and he says, let's see if it works here. 
Yep, it's not working, so I'll just go to the next slide. Yeah, can you guys do it up there? All right, I'll try here. There we go. I'll just use the button. The Exodus was the great miracle of the Old Covenant. The New Testament writers worship the same God, and thus they often use the Exodus to explain salvation in Christ. Indeed, a complete understanding of the gospel requires a knowledge of the Exodus. In some ways, the whole Bible is an extended interpretation of the Exodus. So, very, very powerful book in, in Scripture. And uh, so I, I think it, it would behoove us to, to take some time and to, to look at this, this great book and to see what can we learn from this great book of Exodus. And so we're going to jump right in. We're going to look at the first chapter uh, today and a little bit of the second chapter. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. I'm going to have to give a little bit of summary, but we're going we're gonna to dive in and see what we can learn uh, from, from Exodus here. And we'll start in chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, if you were at Starbucks and you were just reading Exodus, you'd probably read through those names and just say, whatever. <laughs> Pointless information. Right? That's how we are, right? We don't think this stuff matters, but it does matter. It matters a lot. And what, what, what the author here of Exodus, we, you know, most of us feel like it's, it's Moses who wrote sometime after these events, uh, probably wrote it during the wilderness, many people believe, during the wilderness wanderings, because the people had no clue as to really their existence. How did they come to be, you know? And he wanted to really write it down for them. But, but what, the, what, the, what the scripture is doing here is it's making a connection. You know, God was working in Genesis to cre show you he's the creator of the world, right? He created everything, created people, and even chose to work through this man, Abram, and, and his family and his offspring. And what this beginning is saying is that story's not done. This is a continuation of what God has been doing in the world. The story didn't end at Genesis. Yes, he was the creator of all things, and he was creating really a, a, a people through the line of Abraham. We're going to learn how he creates a nation in the book of Exodus. And how many people do we find Jacob originally went up with, right? Seventy. Seventy people. Seventy. The grandson of Abraham, Jacob. All the promises to Abraham, but seventy people found themselves in Egypt, in a nice little spot, a nice little incubator, so to speak, for the nation. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you could just read right over that. But Joseph was a pretty big deal. Joseph was a huge deal. He was one of the guys that was in Abraham's line, one of his great-grandkids. But through jo Joseph was used by God powerfully. God gave Joseph wisdom. He gave him the ability to interpret dreams, and, and, and it was powerful. And because of that, he was elevated to a high position in Egypt and, and gave his, his family a very privileged position in Egypt, got them a great situation. So Joseph's name was powerful. If were it not for God working through Joseph, where would the people of Israel be? 
But this one sentence, it's like his whole life, all that significance is kind of, whoop, he died, all those people died. And you know, the temptation is, okay, well, then what's God going to do? Man, now, man, now what, what's God going to do? What does verse 7 say? But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Is he trying to make a point? How many times can you make growing, numerous, multiply? I mean, do you, you get the point? All right, it's almost like, yeah, God worked through Joseph. Yeah, he died and all those people with him, but God's still doing his thing, right? He's still, his people are still multiplying. And if you are familiar with scripture, this is important too. Because when you see words like increase, multiply, you need to go ding, ding, ding. That's important, right? Why is it important? Because this is God's plan for people. This is really the first command from God to, to people. To be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's plan for people. This was Genesis 1. So this is what God is up to in the world. In the real world, we're not talking fairy tales, people. This is how God works with real people like you and me. His plan was, people, you need to multiply, increase in numbers, subdue the earth. That's what you're there for, okay? You're in my image, unlike any other of the creation. You have a special place and role, and this is what I need you to do. That's our role, right? Genesis 1, right there. What else can we learn? Well, when God spoke to Abraham, look what he says here. He t- at one point, he says, Abra- Abraham, look around you. He said, look where you are. Look northwest, east, south. All the land that you see, all the land that you see, what, is, what does he tell Abraham? I will give it to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Land and offspring. That's what God's plan was. That's what God's been up to. So when we start Exodus, guess what part of the plan is doing really good? The the offspring part. They got that covered. Doing great. But the land part, what's up with that? Oh, you might go, no, Egypt's the land, right? That's the promised land. Egypt was never the promised land. That was never the promised land. And we know that because when Joseph died, you know what Joseph said? He said, I'm going to die in Egypt. But you know what? After I'm dead, God's going to rescue us from this place and take my bones out of here. This is not the place where I'm supposed to be. This is not where God's people are supposed to be. Egypt is not the promised land. Get me out of here even after I'm dead. So offspring and land. The offspring part, we got figured out early on in Exodus. They are multiplying. They're doing their thing. But the land part, God still hadn't shown what he was going to do yet. So Exodus is very, very powerful when it helps us understand what God's doing. And you think, oh, this is just Old Testament stuff. But I think there's some New Testament themes that you're going to see come into play here. Let's look, you know, when the story, you got to have a story. You got to have some opposition, right? Well, let's see what kind of opposition we run into. Then there's a new king we find out to whom Joseph meant nothing. He came to power in Egypt. This is probably about 400 years later, guys. United States of America isn't even 400 years old. You can forget people in a, in a couple hundred years, okay? About 400 years later, 
This new king is like, I don't know who Joseph was. I don't really care. I'm the king. And in fact, when I look at all these, these people, there are too many of them. They're too numerous. They're a threat to our fine nation here. You know, if, they, if, if another enemy comes, they might join with the enemy and fight against us. And they might leave the country, which was God's plan. Right? And so here you see the opposite. Something's stirring. Something's brewing. You, you, Exodus, the beginning, you're supposed to see God's plan still moving. Yeah, Joseph died and those people died, but God's plan's still moving. But all of a sudden we have a king saying, I don't like those people. And I'm going to do something about it. And what does he decide to do about it? Enslave. So he puts slave masters over to oppress them with forced labor. And look, listen to the wording. I mean, the original language is different, but I mean, listen to how many times it says labor, all this work. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Do you get the point? This is not a good situation. You see, the king is setting himself up against God, even though he doesn't necessarily know that. He is in direct opposition to God's people in direct opposition to the, God's plan for his people and his promises to his people. The, the king doesn't know that, but that is exactly what he's doing. And the author of Exodus wants us to see that. God's people were made to bring him glory, but Pharaoh is using God's people to bring Pharaoh glory. Now, you're going to build up my kingdom. You're literally going to build my kingdom for me. You know, you're, you're now, I am now in control of your life. I am the Lord of you. I am your Lord. And, and as we read this, we should see, how does God feel about someone else saying that they're Lord of his own people? But see, that's what Pharaoh's doing. He said, I am the Lord of these people. And they're going to build my kingdom. <laughs> and they're going to bring me glory. They're going to set up these cities and people are going to see those cities and they're going to go, wow, Pharaoh's amazing. Using God's people. And you might go, well, if these are God's people, then why would God allow them to suffer? Isn't that a great, isn't that a question? Anybody ever suffered in here? Anybody ever felt like, why, doesn't God love me? Why am I feeling this way? Shouldn't he just allow this servant to go away? No. Well, and, and this is a theme that we're going to see throughout, but it's good to kind of touch on it real quick. Because here's our problem. Without suffering, we tend to really enjoy Egypt. And we almost think, maybe this is where God wants us. There's food here. There's a lot of stuff going on. Got some national protection. A lot of worse places. I might as well just stay here in Egypt. Yeah, I mean, the brutal life is kind of a bummer, but I mean... I can hang out in Egypt. Because think about this. We're going to get there later, but just think, this is their life in Egypt, right? Can you get a more disturbing? I mean, this is just not good. But those of us that know the story know that even with this as their existence in Egypt, 
when the time came to leave, they still wanted to go back. That shows you who we, this is who we are, people. We get, we get caught up into places where God doesn't want us to be. And sometimes suffering is the only way that just wakes us up and make us seek a savior. <laughs> sometimes suffering is the only thing that will just jar us enough to go, wait, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Maybe I shouldn't make attachments to this world so much. Suffering plays a powerful role. Think about Jesus. Did he suffer? Yes, he did. So suffering is a part of being with God's people, okay? So we got to learn how to have the right mindset about how to suffer spiritually. And we're going to talk more about that in upcoming days, but it's good to kind of plant the seed right here. So here's the plan. So he's enslavement, all right? But does the plan work? Does it work? Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the what? The more they multiplied and spread. Uh, Plan A did not work. Didn't work. I mean, the whole point was they were too numerous. Let's, Let's break their backs. Let's put them to work. Let's take the men away from their wives and make them work in these cities and stay there for months. Let, we're going to break their will, break their backs, keep them away from their wives. This is going to work. This is going to keep the population down, and it's going to break their spirit. And, and over time, we're going to wipe them out. No. They kept having more babies. <laughs> so that didn't work. Okay, well, what next? Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, hey, uh, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth and the delivery stool, if you see that the baby's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Plan, plan B, right? Getting a little more intense right here, right? Ordering, really, murder of children. Does that sound familiar to you if you've heard the story of Jesus' birth, Right? These are similar concepts that Jesus had to deal with as a, as a young child as well. Who is the one who creates people? God. Who says who can be born and who can't be born? God. Pharaoh says, no, I am. I'm the Lord of life, too. That's what Pharaoh's basically saying. I call the shots. I tell people who can live and who can't live. See, Pharaoh, when we see this, this isn't just about Pharaoh and, you know, this isn't just about one guy and some people. This is deeper, okay, guys? This is how the world works, and this is how God works. So these are, this is opposition right here. Pharaoh's basically trying to say he's in charge of who can live and who can't. That is God's role, and let's see how he feels about that over time when someone tries to take his role away from him. How'd the, how'd the midwife, what would you do if you were the midwives? Is Pharaoh powerful? Could he, could he wipe you out? Yeah, he could. Tough situation. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives, well, see, these Hebrew women, whoo, man. I mean, they just get bam, the baby's out. Well, what are we going to do? This is a tough job, Pharaoh. These Hebrew women, man. And quite honestly, we are supposed to laugh at that answer, right? On some level. I mean, what in the world, right? 
But here's the deal. Fearing God, that, that, that's powerful, right? What, what scripture did they refer to? These midwives. What, what, what Bible verse did they have? Oh, wait. They had no Bible. Right? Okay. So, so what's, what's at work here? What's this fear of God? And I believe to me this is the fearing God. It's not like just being, oh, afraid, you know, of, of God. But it's, it's, really, you, you, it's really an understanding that God orders everything. And, and you, need to, you need to fear disobeying his order <laughs> more than what a person says. Okay? That, that, and that's the beginning of wisdom, to, to acknowledge that, you know, there is order. I don't need a fat Bible to tell me that killing babies is wrong. I don't need a Bible to tell me that. I rem- and my people, these Hebrew midwives, you know, my people, you know, they followed Abram. You know, he made some promises, and, 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 I, and I know that, that that's not the nature of this God. And they made their decision. And we need to be people like that. But we, and we know way more than those midwives. We have scripture. We have an experience. We can pray to God. We understand these truths. We got to have that fear of God that causes us to take a stand in our world. No matter who tries to tell us to go a different way. If you're going to follow God, you're going to have to be a peculiar people in this world. Just get, get used to it. You're going to have to go in opposition to a lot of folks. But see, we tend to want to blend in so much. But sometimes when, you, when you're living in the fear of God, you're going to have to take a stand sometimes. And we got to be grateful for these midwives. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people what? And became what? And then, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Everybody's having kids. <laughs> and you're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to go, this is what happens when you oppose God. This is what happens when you try to thwart God's plans. You can use whatever means you want. You can have all the power that you want. But God's plan is not going to be thwarted. And he gives the midwives even kids. Then Pharaoh's like, all right, forget that. Then Pharaoh gave this order to who? Who did he give the order to? All his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you throw him in the Nile River. That's that's radical. That's crazy. But this is the this is what happens when evil gets <laughs> evil's gonna keep coming. So what's God gonna do? What are people gonna do? What would you do? What if you just got married? You want to have kids, right? But that's that's the, the land that you live in. But you know God tells you, be fruitful and multiply. But you're married. And the, and the highest man on the land in your land tells you kids are going to die. What would you do? Would you live in fear or in faith? You, have, you would have a choice. Well, there were two people that lived in faith. And they were married. And they had a baby. And it turned out to be a boy. So what were they supposed to do? Throw it in the Nile. But they feared God more than they feared man, right? And so they had this baby. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar 
and pitch. Okay, and for those of you that have studied the scriptures know, these are the same words. The only other time this word is used for bas Papper's basket is Noah and the ark. The only other time that this, so same, think about that concept. What happened in the ark, right? God saved his people through that ark, right? And so, same word for basket. So, so she's obedient in a way. She puts the baby in the Nile. I mean, you know, she's working with the program right there. But what would you be feeling if that was your baby? Putting it in and just, I mean, how could you do that? Do you just, what do you, you know? Wow. Faith or fear? If it was fear, she would have just dumped the baby and just cried, sobbed, and ran out. She put it in the bark. She put it in the bag. There's, there's faith in there. Faith enough to have the, have the baby. Faith enough to put that baby in the Nile. In that basket. Is God, what's God going to do? Who's, who's, who's running things around here? So his sister, who we later know as Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then Pharaoh's daughter. Whose daughter? Pharaoh's daughter. Huh. All the family devos at her house about Hebrew babies would probably have been pretty clear what she should do, how she should feel about Hebrew babies. But Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking on the riverbank. She saw a basket. Pharaoh's daughter sees a basket. And sends her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she what? Who felt sorry? Pharaoh's daughter felt sorry for one of God's children. <laughs> Tell me who's running the things around here. God, God is all over this story. He's all over it. He is the one that produces faith, I think, in that, in that family to have those babies. He's the one that had the Nile, you know, have the current go right. He's the one that told the Pharaoh's daughter to come down to the Nile at that time. He's the one that stirred her heart to respond to that baby crying. She should have, she should have, if there's one person in the land that would know what Pharaoh wanted done to this baby, it should have been her. And she knew it was one of the Hebrew slaves, Hebrew babies. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, hey, you know what? Can I go get one of the women, you know, to nurse this baby? I got somebody in mind that could do a great job. <laughs> wow, right? So the girl goes and gets the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. People, whose plan is coming to fruition here? God's, not Pharaoh's. Under Pharaoh's own nose. Guess what? Pharaoh wants to get rid of God's people. God is using Pharaoh's daughter to save the man who's going to actually get rid of all of God's people from Egypt. Wow. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. 
And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Which we know that Moses and water and drawing out and all these types of themes are going to swirl in Moses' life. So he was definitely aptly named. So what, what can we learn from just these few verses? I just want to remind you of just a few things that we've talked about. First thing is God is involved in what's going on in this world. God is involved. He is not an impersonal being. God is involved in people's lives. And guess what? God has a plan for his people. And he has made promises to his people. And he will be able to deliver on those promises. If we can believe, you have to believe this story to be true. If you don't, then then God can't really save anybody, in my opinion. But you also need to remember this. Opposition to God's plan will always be there. Okay? There's always going to be opposition to God. And so what is needed, you know what's needed? Is people to be filled with faith and not fear. And that's your decision today that you need to make. When you go out into this world, are you going to go in fear of what can happen in this world or in faith that God has a plan, he's active in this world, and he can make things happen? And the other thing I want you to remember that suffering, don't get sidetracked by suffering, but allow suffering to help you to seek more of your Savior. That's what suffering should do in our lives. It should wake us up and remind us that we were never meant to live our lives here in so-called you know, most, mostly a luxurious situation, right, when you're in the United States, we have a big problem living here. We can get lulled into sleep and try to live just like everybody else, and we can forget that this isn't where we were meant to be. There's another place we're trying to get to. So don't get so comfortable here and let your suffering lead you toward Jesus. And the last thing is, notice how God could just do things on his own, but he likes to work through people. Okay, he's going to use this little baby to do some powerful things later in his life. God uses people. He wants to commission us to do great things as well. Don't forget how God uses normal, everyday people to do incredible things. Just from one chapter of Exodus, we can hopefully learn these things and remember them. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you for just this one small part of Scripture. But it's so powerful to see how you orchestrated the birth of a Savior. But, Father, we know you've done that before. We see the life of Jesus, and we know that as a a child, he also had to deal with Egypt. And he had to deal with a, a ruler who tried to kill children in order to thwart his own life. And, and Father, we also know that, that Jesus had to endure suffering as well. But Father, we're grateful for the plan that was not thwarted, even though Jesus had to suffer death on a cross. And Father, we celebrate how you work in this world. And we want to be people of faith. We, we want to remember Jesus' body and his blood at this moment in time. And we want, to, we want to proclaim that he is the true Lord of all and that he will return to bring us to the place where you really ultimately want us to be, the new heavens, the new earth. 
Father, we cannot wait for that reality so that we can get out of Egypt and make it to the promised land. Thank you for giving us a Savior. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.